Hey, what's up? I'm Anthony. And I'm Dan. And we are J&J Missions, spreading the gospel by all means, one soul at a time. We give live talks, we make YouTube videos, and you can find us all over social media. And as you probably figured, we have a podcast. Whether we're giving spiritual tips, deliberating about current events, or talking saints and devotionals, we want to bring the Catholic faith to you in a totally orthodox, yet relatable, down-to-earth way. If you want to support us, head over to our website, www.jmjmissions.com. Good evening. It's at least evening where we are right now as we record this. This is the JMJ Missions Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am Daniel Palmieri, your host always, along with my co-host, co-founder, tri-founder, Anthony McCullough, the one and only. Uh, Today we have an interesting topic. It's uh, Catholicism Q&A, frequent controversial questions that we get about the Catholic faith uh, from people in our YouTube comments and Instagram DMs and TikTok comments and maybe from our students as teachers or even in person from people. So we figure we could answer some of these controversial questions about Catholicism with our own kind of flair and maybe that'll enlighten people and give some graces and we ask God to guide us in that process. But before any of that, we got stuff from the world and I'm actually taking the reins on this one. And uh, well, stuff in the world, in the world right now, it is uh, getting colder um, it's November, sorry, it's mid-December, um, and it's getting colder and colder, uh, regardless of um, what time of year you're listening to this. I'm sure the temperature is always changing. And so I wanted to ask Anthony, what state has the best weather? I had a professor that said there is no good weather or bad weather. There is simply weather. And he was kind of depressing. <laughs> and it's, he's right, though, because the only thing that makes it good or bad is our perception. Um and what weather is, is the earth trying to find a balance of equilibrium, which will, it will never find. So that's why there's always changing weather. And, but I, with all that being said, South Carolina has the best weather. Man, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> well, too bad. South Carolina. Why do you, why do you say South Carolina? Because it's like New Jersey, just 15 to 20 degrees warmer, which I, <sighs> which I would not like in the summer. Because I already don't like New Jersey summer. Mm-hmm. So I definitely wouldn't like South Carolina summer. But I would like the winter and the fall. So the other is. seasons outweigh the negatives of the summer. Yeah, because you can't do if, you can't do anything outside in the summer anyway, so it wouldn't matter if it's a little <laughs> bit hotter. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of uh, listeners would probably say like Southern California or Florida, but uh, I agree with you, South Carolina all the way. Me and my wife were just talking about this. Me and Karen, we were saying like if we weren't in New Jersey, we wouldn't have family and James J missions and stuff like that in New Jersey. I would totally go to South Carolina because you still get all four seasons. It's not like you don't get a change in the seasons, but it, like you said, it's 15 degrees warmer. You know? Yeah, you don't really get winter, though, because it doesn't get cold. But see, that's fine because for me, winter doesn't have to be cold. If winter's 30, 40, 50 degrees, psh, I'm all – I don't even like snow that much. I say that people gasp. People hate it. I, I, I don't like snow. I mean, the, the first snowfall is nice. I'll give you that. It's cozy. You know, if you're looking out with a fireplace, you know, whatever. I like it. But uh, after that, it just gets muddy and nasty, and you see it on the side of the road, and it's cold, and it's annoying, and you got to scrape it off your car, and then all the cars look weird because they got that weird powder. What's that powder salt. even called? That's the salt. Oh, it's the salt. Okay. <laughs> I knew that. I actually did know that. <laughs> but thank you for reminding me. Yeah. yeah. like, what the heck? It just looks nasty, you know? Like, it's so nasty that in the office, even though it was filmed in California, I heard, right? Yeah. They actually had to get fake salt and put it on the cars because that's how nasty Which was cars genius. look in Pennsylvania. Yeah during the during the winter and that is genius you're right mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah south carolina all the way uh i'm all for the nice weather like i'm a warm weather person you know like florida you know uh 
Southern California, things like that. Texas is usually pretty warm. Um, but, you know, I do like the variation, just not as cold as New Jersey. Yeah. We, yeah. Get, we get a lot of listeners from California and from Houston. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Houston's a, a great city, so I've heard. Mm-hmm. Most, yeah. on, I think actually 30% of our TikTok followers are from Houston. That's the most random it's thing I've ever heard? Random. What? Okay. I don't know. Okay. But that's fine. <laughs> I mean, go, I mean, I go Texas. I mean, <laughs> everything's bigger and nice in Texas. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. <laughs> so, thank you so much for following us, all of our Texas peeps. <laughs> uh, all right. So, that was a quick one. But, uh, I mean, I wasn't expecting us both to say South Carolina. So, uh, if you're listening in South Carolina, good for you. We would live there if we didn't have roots in New Jersey. <laughs> um, not that it really matters what we think, but I mean, I mean, I guess that's why you're listening. So maybe it does a little bit. <laughs> All right, we'll take a quick break, and we're gonna come back to our topic where we answer some of the most controversial questions about the Catholic faith. Don't go away. And we are back, and we have an actual confession to make. This is our second uh, attempt at the, doing this podcast. Uh, basically, we tried a few days ago to do a podcast, and we were going to do it on world religions, and we just didn't feel like qualified as experts on those religions enough to give our opinion and compare it to Catholicism, at least without an official source from those religions. So if you would like to see a podcast like that, don't be afraid to just drop us a DM or let us know, and we'll get something like that, like that going. But we did have a clip at the end of that last podcast that we're not using um, that really talks about what sets Christianity apart from other religions. And that is something I think that we should use, that we're going to use. So at the end of this podcast, you're going to hear a clip uh, from from the one we did two days ago uh, explaining what sets Christians apart from other religions. Um, Of course, we never bash other religions. We respect all religions, uh, but we do believe that uh, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, and so um, we have some good stuff there, and we're going to incorporate that into the uh, as the answer to one of our questions. So without further ado, we have uh, eight questions here that we typically get um, a lot from our viewers, from our listeners, from even our students and people in person about controversial Catholic questions um, and answers. So and these aren't just geared towards our YouTube. These are questions that kind of any person that's anti-Catholic would uh, propose to you. Yeah, we get these all the time. Almost every single topic we make on a any kind of Catholic topic that's just specific to the Catholic faith, like the Blessed Mother or Saints or Purgatory or the Eucharist or whatever, right? Um, <laughs> part of the reason these videos blow up is because so many anti-Catholics get yeah, on there and start and ripping us to with shreds. Us. And we have this like loyal following, and we Dan and I call them the Catholic the boys. The Catholic boys, and they kind of fight back in the comments. And right, it's <laughs> funny sometimes. It is kind of funny. Now we don't, we're not against Protestants at all. I mean, there are brothers and sisters in the faith. We share the same baptism. We're on the same team. As I've said before, I personally believe we need to unite right now in a very anti-Christian culture in general join forces to try to change the tides of this culture and then figure out the differences later. Um, so, we, you know, of course, we're not against Protestants, but we're also very loyal to the Catholic faith. We believe the Holy Spirit guides it. We love the Pope, bishops, the saints, the Trinity, um, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, well, all Christians love the Trinity, but you know where I'm going with that. Uh, so without further ado, we have a list of eight here. We're going to take them one by one and answer the most common controversial Catholic questions. All right, number one, why do you, as Catholics, commit idolatry and worship Mary and the saints? All right, well, why do we uh, commit idolatry? 
Well, it's, it would be idolatry <laughs> if we worshipped them, if we put them on the same level as God, or if we prayed. I think there's confusion over the word to when we pray to a saint. Mm-hmm. And, we, and I've made a, a video about this on TikTok. When we pray to a saint, we're not asking the saint to do the miracle. Right. That's idolatry. Right. That's like um, a, a deity or something like that. When we pray to a saint, we're asking that saint to take that prayer to Christ. Right. Now, can't we go right to Christ? Yes, we can, and we do, and we should. But asking a saint to pray for us in heaven is the same thing as you asking a friend to pray for you from earth. Right. Like, I could, you know, if there's a problem on earth, why don't I just go to Jesus for everything? Why would I ask anybody else for prayers? But all Christians do that, Mm -hmm. you know? And one other thing I I love to think about is that people always say, yeah, but you could just go to Jesus. Just go to Jesus. Go to Yeah, of course. But you know what really glorifies Jesus when he uses other people? Yeah. I feel like, you know, why did Jesus ascend to heaven? We said this in the last podcast on the Eucharist. He ascended into heaven so that he could work through us. It's almost like he's God. We know what he could do. It's better if he uses us to do cool things than he just does everything himself directly. And that's why he ascended into heaven and then entered into the apostles as the Holy Spirit. He wants to do that through you and I on this earth, and we just believe that does not end after death. Jesus loves using other people, including saints, to do his work. It's Jesus' grace. It's Jesus' work. It's him doing all the good, but he loves using people in life and in death, others, to do it for him. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Jesus is not an attention seeker. <laughs> like, he's not shy about explaining the truth. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He who sees the Father see, who sees me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Why? Because Jesus can't lie. So he's not going to come around and, like, deny that he's the source of every good in the world and in the universe, but he would rather work through us and through the saints than just directly. And I heard a good analogy once of how you can kind of picture Jesus like uh, the CEO of a company. And he's throwing a big party, and he's inviting um, some of his best coworkers, and you're invited too. And not wanting to even think about or appreciate the saints would be like being invited to this party and being like, "Dude, I don't want anyone else to be there. I just <laughs> want to see you. I don't care. Just, just you. Just and like, where the CEO would be like, "Well, no, I have this person. This person does a great job. Right? Like, you can appreciate what they do, and you can imitate them a little bit." And because like that's that's how Jesus is. He's not just like me only. Right. Like, he appreciates the other employees. You can say. And we can look up to the other employees. Absolutely. I, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Never heard that before. Mm-hmm. And who gets the credit? The who CEO. Get, the CEO gets yeah. the credit for the uh-huh. company doing well. Uh-huh. You know, look what just happened with Disney. That, that whole big change. The company wasn't, they didn't like the look. They changed the CEO. We don't ever change our CEO. It's mm-hmm. always Jesus. He's the head. He's the head of the church. So by honoring the saints, we're literally glorifying what Jesus did in their life and what he continues to do through them in death. All graces go directly through Jesus. He loves using us. So why the heck would we not take him up on that offer? Why? It's like we're it's like we're getting jealous and insecure for Jesus for him. Yeah. Like you don't need to and do he's that. Not. Yeah, yeah, I'm not insecure about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I know he's God. We all know he's God. He loves working through other people. Right. Good for good for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all all right. right. The next one. Uh, why do you pray to dead people when they can't hear you? That actually goes along with the first question mm-hmm. about the saints and the blessed mother, uh, and uh, the reason is uh, because well they can hear us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you actually answer this really well because you say, I'll let you speak on it, how it glorifies Jesus, you know, how it's like his resurrection is glorified. Exactly, because when the phrase dead people, I think that's where the mistake is because we're not dead in heaven. If you're dead eternally, you're in hell. Like you're, you're not in heaven if you're right. dead. Right. So heaven is eternal life. So if someone is in eternal life, why would they lose their ability to hear? So I I think they're totally right there and it it takes away the power of the resurrection. It does. It's, yeah. it's almost like you're you're limiting Jesus. 
if Jesus' resurrection is real and he says like that you resurrect with him if you have him in your heart, you, you're not dead. And you know, people, I don't know why, there's this ongoing idea that there's this gigantic gap between heaven and earth. People in heaven cannot hear you. They have no idea what's going on on earth. It's completely separate. That also kind of insults Jesus a little bit. Of course, these well-meaning people that believe this, I don't think they're trying to insult Jesus at all. You got to you know, give grace and you got to assume the best in people, all right? See the best in people. We try to do that. But like that insults Jesus a little bit because what was the incarnation? It was literally the merging of heaven and earth. What's going to happen at the end of time? What does Revelation say? New heaven, new earth. Heaven and earth will merge at the end of time. And this entire earth that is ravaged by sin right now will be completely re- like redeemed. And it'll be the perfect earth with the perfect, you know, with, with no effects of sin in a human body and in nature. Now, Jesus is literally the preview of that because Jesus is the source of that renewal that's going to take place at the end of time. It's going to happen all through the power of Jesus, but it already happened, you could say in many, although it wasn't many, it already happened in the person of Jesus. Heaven and earth merged. Heaven touched earth in the incarnation. So, if heaven and earth touched and and, and kissed, you could say, in the incarnation, and Jesus is in your, your heart, well, then heaven's in your heart. Literally, you could say that, like, when you can actually make a theological case for this. When somebody is tempted and they're committing sins, you could say hell itself is a, a fraction of hell is like pulling on them. When you feel inspiration from the Holy Spirit and grace and you do good and you feel the presence of Christ in your heart, you could say heaven right now, not the end of the time or not the end of your life. Heaven right now is pulling on you. So the veil between heaven and earth is not as big as people think. So no, if someone died and they're in heaven and they're with Jesus and Jesus is in your heart, Oh, yeah, they could hear you. Yeah. I'm not saying they're just spending all their time floating right, right near you. We don't mm-hmm. know how time and space works and heaven and the spiritual world is well beyond for us to grasp here on earth. But we do know that Jesus would like to use these people to help us still. People that have died that you know they're in heaven and the saints. So they absolutely can hear you if you want them to. They're the farthest thing from dead. Yep. Perfect. All right. Next one. Why don't Catholics believe that faith alone saves them? Okay. Well, there's a whole idea of... Um, faith alone, sola fide, uh, among uh, Protestants that, um, you know, because of the book, especially the St. Paul in his letter to the Romans hits on this a lot, how like people should not be boasting about their accomplishments. Like you don't earn your way into heaven. Right. And actually contrary to popular belief, Catholics believe this too. You were only saved by Jesus. The only way for us to do good is by Jesus's grace. We can do nothing apart from him. So no, a contrary to Catholic belief, Catholic or not Catholic belief, popular belief, Catholics don't don't just. Uh, I'm really slurring. Catholic, I say Catholics. <laughs> Catholics don't think that you have to do X amount of good deeds and you earn your way into heaven. I I don't like. I see this so often among again well-meaning Protestants, but it's like this has been debunked so many times, and it, like you just continue to see it. Like this is like this should have been settled centuries ago, right? Uh, Catholics do not believe you have to commit a certain number of good deeds, good acts, and then you earn God's love, and then you earn your own salvation. What happens is Jesus comes into your heart and rescues you. He forgives you of your sins. It's all Jesus. But then once he does that, what do you do? It's going to inspire good works. It's going to inspire good works, right? Like as James says, and you hear this quoted all the time, faith without works is dead. So Jesus first comes into your heart through faith, he forgives your sins, he clears the junk, and then he transforms you through the sacraments, through prayer, through the Eucharist, through 
um <laughs> through uh sorry the dog just like shook his ears shook his ears right next to me <laughs> uh through uh the rosary through uh spending time with the right people like all these ways are all these things are ways to get the grace of christ deeper in your heart to transform you so however however to whatever degree you are open to jesus is how much he is going to transform your heart and it's like you start to level up and get closer and closer to that heaven on earth that i was talking about the saints would be the primary examples of people who were like living like a heaven on earth almost they weren't perfect but they had so much of Jesus's grace inside and they were so open to it, so transformed that you could say heaven in a big way was pulling on their hearts at all times. Yeah. So um, it's just faith first for Catholics. Faith first saves and then works are the proof that you have faith. And if you don't have works, you probably don't have faith. So you need both to go right. to heaven. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. Next one is, why do you believe things that aren't in the Bible? Hmm. Well, um, what I like to say is where in the Bible does it say that everything has to be in the Bible it in order for it to be real or for good. For good. Yeah, it doesn't. So we, we believe the Bible is all totally good and from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But it doesn't say that it doesn't say that absolutely every single word everybody says has to be directly from the Bible in order for it to be true. Yeah, exactly. And some things are, are obvious. I remember we had this discussion once. And, like, for example, the word abortion doesn't appear in the Bible, but we know to be against abortion. Right. Like, you know, like, we don't need that to be written down. We just know it. Now, you might be able to argue how, like, we classify that as murder and it does say in the Bible, like, don't, thou shalt not murder. So, <laughs> so maybe it, it kind of does say that, but not everything needs, needs to be written down in there because we also believe in sacred tradition, um, which kind of puts a huge gap between us and Protestants because they don't have that at all. Right. Uh, and the reason we believe in sacred tradition is not just because like, oh, we're just holding to our old traditions. We're just doing what we always did because we always do it because we're just, we don't think for ourselves. That is not sacred tradition. Sacred tradition started with Jesus himself Jesus didn't promise a Bible. He promised a church. He literally said to Peter, you are Peter on this rock. I build my church, right? The gates of hell will not prevail. He said to the apostles and his disciples, I will not leave you orphans. All the things that you're not sure about that I haven't talked about, the Holy Spirit will come fill in the gaps. I'm paraphrasing, but he literally almost said that. Like the Holy Spirit's going to come. He will enlighten you and he'll fill in the gaps. And when he said to Peter, like, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, what you loose on earth will be loose in heaven, we truly believe that Jesus is not going to just toss us the Bible and then tell us to fight over it. He's going to give us the sacred tradition, through the uh, sacred scripture, I'm sorry, through the Holy Spirit, and then he gives us the church to guide us. You know, who put the, who put the Bible together? The, the Catholic Church. If you were living in a time of uh, shortly after Jesus, maybe 100 AD, let's go even earlier than that, 50 AD, the first churches that were springing up. He didn't have any of the, half the Gospels weren't even written yet, right? Most, maybe not, maybe only one of them was written by 50 AD, maybe mm-hmm. just Mark or Matthew, right? Yeah. So what the heck did you believe then? Jesus has been gone for about 15 years. He was ascended to heaven. The Christian communities are springing up. You don't have a Bible to believe in. So if you lived at that time, what would you, how would you know what it meant to be a Christian? You'd have to just go by what the church was teaching, the yeah. bishops, mm-hmm. the successors of the apostles or, or the apostles themselves possibly. So, when you trust the Bible, you're trusting in the ability of the church to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit and formulate and canonize, um, I should say, um, specifically make into a canon uh, these books, the Bible. Um, for another final example is like the Holy Trinity. All Christians believe in the Holy Trinity, but it never explicitly, like there's no passage in the Bible where Jesus gets up and says, the God is three persons. Yeah, one nature. One, uh, yeah, one, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is who God is, right? 
Like there's that's not in the Bible. You're trusting that the church got it right. And the reason we could trust that the church got it right in those first few centuries and deciding on all these things is because Jesus promised the church would get it right. So by obeying the Catholic Church's traditions, capital T, not the little things like, you know, mm-hmm. which way the priests face during Mass, yeah. that can change, right? Or whether or not confessions face-to-face or what language uh-huh. the church, like the Masses, yeah. and these things can change over the centuries. But the big things, the dogmas and the doctrines, I'm not just blindly obeying a random archaic institution. I'm obeying Jesus, and I'm trusting that Jesus loves us too much to let us get these things wrong. So how beautiful is our mother church, you know? Um, so we're we're trusting in Jesus when we obey church tradition. Yeah, cool. Um, this says, what about uh, the times that Catholicism was forced upon people? I'm kind of thinking of like maybe the Spaniards uh, with uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Yeah, so we just put out that Our Lady of Guadalupe reel, which went semi-viral. Got like a half million, half uh, million views on TikTok mm-hmm. and what, 150,000, 200,000 more on, on Instagram, Instagram, something yeah. like that. And it was shared by the, I think Catholic Connect is the biggest Catholic Instagram that exists. Really? And they share you think so? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Cool. They have cool. 300,000. I'm not sure if anyone's bigger than them. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. No, maybe maybe our... the Pope himself or something like that. True. Instagram. Yeah. In so the U.S., we'll say. I, right. I, I haven't seen any larger, which is really cool to be shared. But, you know, one, I was looking through the comments because we, in this reel, uh, which you could check out on our, you know, TikTok or Instagram or whatever, um, we went through some of the miraculous aspects of uh, the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe on Juan Diego's Tilma for those listeners who are familiar with it. And one of the biggest backlash comments we continued over and over again, hundreds of times to get in the comments is, well, none of that matters because the Spaniards forced it on the Aztecs, right? Um, And, you know, these these mean colonizers forced Catholicism on people all over the world. A couple things there. Number one, um, no, a majority of Catholic conversions around the world were not forced. I mean, yes, sometimes there was political pressure. Yes, sometimes it was in the people's best interest to do it for trade reasons and, you know, things like that. And other times, yes, it was forced, sadly. But that's not the the overarching themes that it was just forced all the time, number one. There are millions and millions and millions of conversions throughout the world, Mexico and otherwise, which were completely voluntary. Number two, um, just because someone forced you to buy a Lamborghini doesn't mean that the Lamborghini is not a great car. Yeah. So Unfortunately, we're, of course, against any kind of, you know, proselytizing or or forced conversions. Like, these are mistakes made by bishops and sometimes Catholic monarchs and, you know, governments uh, and priests. Like, when, when these things happen in the past, we are completely against them. We know it's wrong. Everybody knows it's wrong to force another person to believe something, especially from an American standpoint in 2022. But it doesn't mean the Catholic faith is not true doesn't mean those miracles of Guadalupe didn't really actually happen. Right. It doesn't negate that stuff at all. Yeah, so, right. So, yeah, even if there were people that forced Catholicism onto other people, then still, the miracles were are real and true and good. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, just because you're forced to buy something doesn't mean it's not a great product. Yeah. Again, not defending the fact that it may have been forced in some cases. <clears throat> of but, course. And yeah. that's very sad. It's very yeah. hypocritical. In fact, mm-hmm. when you see, when you, see uh, you know, priests and bishops and, and, uh, ca- and, well, and apparently holy Catholics that you think doing horrible things. I mean, it's really sad. It's a horrible, it's, it's like nobody wants to think about that. But logically, that has nothing to do with whether or not Jesus walked the earth and whether or not this is the church he started. And can you imagine if Jesus forced every single Catholic to be perfect? That wouldn't be fair to everybody else. So Catholics, even though, and Christians will say in general, we have what's called the fullness of the truth. To know Jesus is such a great blessing he is not into robotic thinking. He's not going to force us to just be better than everybody else. Catholics and Christians have sin. 
just like everybody else. So of course, in any any belief system, Catholicism, Christianity or not, you're going to have people forcing horrible things on others. Yeah. It's been happening since humans have been a thing. Mm-hmm. For all religions in all countries, it's going to happen in part of Catholicism because it's a human institution and we're sinful people, but it does not mean it's not true. Yeah, good. Uh, next one is, why do you think the Pope is perfect? Ooh, do we think the Pope's perfect? No, absolutely not. No, <laughs> like we know that he's not. And I'm not but, even talking about this Pope. I mean every Pope. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, nothing against Pope Francis. Um, what He's perfect sometimes when he speaks ex cathedra, which is in Peter's chair. Yeah. And did I say that right? That's yeah, when he's ex, the, ex cathedra. That's when he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he only does that to reveal some kind of doctrine about a dogma of our faith, something very important. So yes. he's not just going to randomly get up there and start speaking. Do you like, know how it, many it, times... No, I don't. Yeah. The Pope hardly ever gets up and declares something ex cathedra. Mm-hmm. It's not like everything Pope Francis or Pope Benedict before him or even John Paul II is holy as he was because right. such a holy guy, right? Um, it's not like everything the Pope says is perfect or great. Uh, the way Catholics are supposed to take it is, you know, 99.999% of the time the Pope speaks, it's like, you know, good advice. I mean, mm-hmm. this is your holy father. This is the, the Bishop of Rome. This is probably a good holy holy guy. You should listen to him. He's a leader of the church. It does not mean, though, that he's perfect or that everything he says is completely theologically accurate or that it's dogma. Do you know the last time the Pope actually got up and said something ex cathedra? I don't. 1950. Oh, wow. 1950. That's... And that's pretty recent for church standards. Mm-hmm. So not even the encyclicals aren't even doctrines then. The encyclicals no. are just letters that they write. Uh, yeah, the encyclicals are official teachings from the Pope. So it's mm-hmm. like, here's my official teaching on this. Right. Even that, even though it's usually reviewed by many theologians, and uh-huh. probably you can say really good chance there's nothing theologically wrong, there's uh-huh. no guarantee. It's yeah. like you should obey it or at least think about it and ponder it because of the Pope telling you. So uh-huh. if the Pope's going to say something, it's like you're – just take it as like a really holy guy that's really respected that you can – you know make a good guess is connected to the Holy Spirit. That's how you're supposed to take those things when the Pope officially teaches. But it yeah. does not mean you're not allowed to disagree here and there, you know, on, on the little things. doesn't mean Pope Francis can't get things wrong. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're not going to get some of his own human opinion in it. It's just good teaching. Those are the encyclicals, right? right? Um, but the only time it's guaranteed to be correct is when he speaks ex cathedra. And the only reason we actually believe that, that he's going to be absolutely correct, is again because of Jesus' promise. Like, over the centuries, we've started to realize that the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, not only did he have tons of power and tons of influence from the very early centuries, a common attacks that the papacy was just made up in the Middle Ages. Like, oh, we're just going to make this dude Bishop of Rome and he just has all the power. No, like, that, from the very early times, from St. Peter onward, you can make a really good case the Pope was by far the most respected bishop. And then the church looked back and realized on every single controversial issue the church had to figure out, the Pope ended up being on the correct side of it. And his influence had a big part to play in a lot of it too. And so over time, the Holy Spirit revealed to the church, like not only was the Pope on the right side every single time, the Bishop of Rome, not only was he by far the most respected, and there was this going theory that he probably couldn't get things wrong. Eventually by the 1800s, I think it was, was it Pius IX maybe, that declared that actual official dogma that of a uh, papal infallibility, the Holy Spirit cemented it and pretty much said, yep, the Pope in certain circumstances, the Holy Spirit loves us too much to let him get things wrong when it comes to basic dogma. Again, basic dogmas uh, that are agreed upon by all the bishops. Usually the Pope goes to all the bishops and makes sure they're all in agreement with him before he declares something ex cathedra. And literally it happens like once in a blue moon. So 
No, we don't think the Pope's perfect. He's a human being like everybody else that just gets very special help from the Holy Spirit in really rare cases. Cool. Uh, the next one is, wasn't Catholicism just adopted from old pagan religions? Okay. Um, no. Uh, did Catholicism incorporate some pagan customs that weren't bad? Yeah, in certain situations they did, right? Um, I don't know why people have this idea that like absolutely everything from every other religion is completely evil. And it's not. What we know is that other religions, even pagan religions, may have had shadows of the truth. So a lot of sometimes even demonic influences, a lot of human error, a lot of their own made-up stuff. But because every human being has this, has this religious sense and kind of knows God in a very, very common sense way by natural law, a lot of religions, even the Roman pagan religions, and a lot of the Greek philosophy, for example, like what the Greeks were saying in the Plato, for example, or Aristotle, can have a lot of truth in them. They just need to be corrected and guided by the true one who is Jesus, right? So when the church first started, they took a lot of the uh, thought of Plato, Aristotle, other great philosophers from other philosophies that did not believe in Jesus, and they said, hey, there's some good stuff in here. Let's incorporate it into what's actually true. So it's just like taking the stuff that people were, you know, Aristotle, for example, was onto a lot of stuff. Like he got really far into just thinking in common sense ways about the world and how he classified things, right? Doesn't mean he was wrong about everything. Like, you know, the fact that he wasn't Christian, he, you know, he didn't have Jesus, like go easy on him, right? The church took his style of thinking and said, okay, well, we know the truth now. We got Jesus. We got the church. We got, we got the, the Holy Spirit on our side. We have a revelation. And they combined the two and they thought, all right, what, what kind of stuff can we take? What kind of stuff do we have to leave out? And St. Paul, in Scripture, gives precedence for this. He says, test all spirits, take the good, leave the rest. That's exactly what the church did with a lot of these pagan customs. It's not like it got the church became paganized. No, the church was the church. The church is Jesus' church. The church has a guarantee from Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It will not get these things wrong. And then it, it incorporated what it could, the good things, and left the rest. And there's nothing wrong with that. Cool. And I, I think our last question comes from the prior podcast so i okay. guess we're gonna let that play now yeah what's the question the question is aren't all religions the same and what sets catholicism slash christianity apart okay so we get this question a lot from our students um because uh, many students like they'll raise a, their hands in my class and say mr p like we think catholicism is correct right and i'll be like yeah and they but other religions think they're correct too and i'm like yeah and they say well then we're all like correct right because like they think they're right too I'm like, okay, um, no, it doesn't mean they're all correct. As I said, you could find shades of truth in other religions. It doesn't mean they're all the same. And that's why you have to actually compare Catholicism and every other religion and make your make your point. Because like, you can't have a bunch of true religions at the same time. It wouldn't it would go against our logic. So in our last podcast, we covered subjects such as these. This is why we incorporated it. And uh, without further ado, I'll leave you with uh, Dan and Anthony from two days ago. <laughs> All right, we are back. Uh, we kind of mentioned it already, but we wanted to just hit a little bit more on what, what makes Christianity so special and why it's set apart. Now, again, we do not condemn any other faiths as being like automatic trips to hell, but um, we do believe that God did reveal himself in Jesus Christ. And that's actually, Anthony, you want to make a point about that, that if God did this, if God actually did come to earth and become a human being like we believe, if that one part is true, and that he did establish a church, then, what else do you need? Exactly. We're the only faith that even remotely claims that our God came and walked among us. Like, no other faith says it. And not only do we say it, we know that it happened. 
So if I was an alien and I was checking out all these world religions, looking at the good, looking at the bad, I would be most interested in testing out Catholicism first because it's the only one that says that our God walked on the earth and yeah. like lived like one of us and then died. Not only that, but then he came back to life right? and then went into heaven again. So for me, that's incredibly interesting. And like that's that's where I would put my money on that. Yeah, you'd have to test out all of that, like you said, first, because mm-hmm. no other religion even makes that claim. Yeah. Like, like you know, Muhammad was a person. Mm-hmm. He admitted it. Buddha and they, and was they, a person. they say that. Like, they don't right. say that he wasn't. Oh, right. They yeah. don't say that he wasn't, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, Abraham, all the great prophets of the Old Testament, they were just pe- flawed people, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, we don't even know who started Hinduism. It's, that's not even a real, like, cemented religion with its own, with its own specific beliefs. It's like a lot of different beliefs kind of compiled into one. So, I mean, like, there's been never been a claim like this in the history of the world, that God became a person, showcased it by doing all these miracles. When I say showcased, I don't mean, like, he showed off, just meaning, like, he proved it with his miracles, died, and then resurrected to prove it. Then he said, I'm going to start a church. And, I, like, what do you say to Peter? You are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what happened? After that, they start the church against all odds. It makes it through a Roman persecution. And here we are 2,000 years later talking about it with thousands of saints and miracles to back it up. Right. You and, know? and you really even see God's humility in that by giving Peter the, like the beginning the, as he was the foundation. Because God the Father could have done all this by himself. He could have right. saved us. He didn't need our help at all. Right. But in his humility, he wants us to be a part of it. So he like gave us little roles to play. Right. And that's another big um, like fact about Christianity is that it gives you a mission. Like it, it, it really hones in on like every human being feels they're here for a reason. Like there's, there's something deep inside of us that like we know we're here for a reason. We want to exist. And God could have just snapped his fingers to save us, but he did it all in an organic way by coming down to be one of us, entering into our suffering and our human nature, giving us grace and then saying, now you make use of your life, go out there and do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's perfect. Like he could have, like you said, he could have snapped his fingers and saved us all. I like to think of this as like a lifeguard. If there was like a magic lifeguard mm-hmm. on the shore and somebody was drowning, if this guy could just like use the force or whatever, and just like kind of swoop you back to, to safety on the shore, he could, but then you really want to know how much he really cared. Right. It would mean a lot more if he went and swam in the water with you, experienced the riptide, you know, punched a shark in the face, and got <laughs> that gross seaweed on his leg. It's literally like the devil, like punching a shark in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and then picking you up and then carrying you back to, to shore, you know, inhaling some of the same water that you are. Right. Then you know, like, okay, this dude actually cares about me. Right. You know, he suffered with me for a minute. And this might just be me. Like, this might be my own personal take on this, and maybe I'm the only one affected, but the most emotional moments of my life, spiritually speaking, like when I felt closest to God was when I knew that I was a sinner that I had messed up and how much he loved me anyway, how much he forgave me, how he's going to have a plan for me, you know, how he came and died for me, like the unconditional love on his part. Like you can't find anything like that in any other religions. You can't, you find some really nice ideas. You find compassion and love and kind of other forms and obedience to God and some, some good things. But knowing that like, Hey, like I've messed up, but it's okay because he took care of it and he's going to, he's going to change me. And not only is he, does he forgive me, but he can transform me. He can make me into a whole new creature. He can give my life meaning. He can make me into a saint. Like, and, and he has like, look at all the saints that have been canonized. He has made people in the saints. He's transformed people, not perfect, but like closer than we ever could have imagined through his grace. I mean, just the gratitude that you can have for him, him doing that is just, um, it's almost, it's literally almost beyond belief. It's almost, in fact, one of the biggest attacks on Christianity is that it's too good to be true. No, too good. God, God couldn't have actually become a human being. 
and actually loved you enough to like enter into your heart and, and save you like that. He, he wouldn't have died for you. What? You and all the stuff you've done? He would do that for you? He can't actually transform you. Those stories about Saint, now, like, they're exaggerated. He can't actually do that in a person. Well, he has. And they're well-documented. And they're still going on. So there's just nothing else like it. Yeah. And it's love-driven. It's love-driven. Love of God, love of others. Yes, there's obedience. Yes, there, there, there's, there's fasting and, and, and all these great things. There's the, the compassion. There's peace that comes from it. There's detaching yourself from things, just like in Buddhism and all these other religions. But it's all, in the end, driven by love. Like, you've been loved by God. He loved you first. And then through that, you're going to love him and love other people, and that changes you, and that brings the joy. That brings the peace. That brings the purpose. So, I mean, is there anything else that needs to be said? <laughs> Not really. So as much as we would never, ever bash other religions because we respect them, there can be very good people that I would even say, as, as, uh, as many, many theologians have said, that, you know, baptism by desire. You, you're doing the best with what you have. You're doing your best to have love in your heart, to obey the teachings of your religion with compassion and peace for others. And, and I mean, like, yeah, like, I'm sure God has his ways of getting you to heaven. Jesus has his ways of saving you without you realizing it's Jesus. But what a great gift we have to be able to understand it in our minds and in our hearts and to have the church to guide us and have the sacraments, which are like doses of, like, grace right into our soul. I mean, what an incredible, incredible um, gift has been given to the church, and we have to spread it. We do it with love. We do it with optimism. We do it without being like a snob, but we have to spread that love. It's like, if we don't, then um, we're going to be called into account for that because it's that precious of a gift. Yeah, perfect. All right. So without further ado, we have the uh, Davotional Cup. We will get to that in just a second. Okay, so uh, we're back with the Davotional Cup. Anthony is going to shake it. I did remember it this time. Nice. Finally. Last like 50 billion times. I had to text you like 10 times about it. Yep. Yep. And here it is. Totally uh, off the cuff and impromptu. All right. Ready? Go ahead. Here we go. It is Our Lady of Akita. Our Lady of Akita. Japan, right? What a cool apparition. Yeah. Interesting because in Japan, what's the number one faith? Um, nothing now. Oh, <laughs> cool. <Yeah. laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe like Shintoism or something like that. I'm not sure what it was before, mm-hmm. but um, mostly, uh, mostly don't believe in anything. Yeah. Kind of like like most modern, like the West kind of in general, barely believes right. in anything. Uh, okay. So interestingly enough, in the midst of this decline of all kind of faiths, you know, Christianity included, uh, in Japan, in the 1970s, you had a nun, um, a devout sister who said that she was hearing the Blessed Mother speak to her from a statue. The Blessed Mother Mary uh, warned of many different um, things that could happen to the world if the world didn't repent. Uh, the coolest thing about the, uh, Our Lady of Akita is that, well, two things. Number one, people didn't believe her that the statue was like, a voice was coming from the statue of Mary, you know, warning her of different things in the state of the world. But on national Japanese television, I think in the 70s, the statue cried real tears, uh, or it might have been oil. And that's happened all over the world. There have been statues of the Blessed Mother crying real tears um, because of the state of our world, the decline of, um, of, of our faith, Yeah, which is amazing. So they, that was one of the biggest miracles caught on TV. I believe that apparition has at least partial approval from the bishop. It has not been condemned. What, Akita? Akita, Okay. Yeah. So I believe it has at least partial approval from the bishop. At least mm-hmm. one of the bishops of that area was okay with it. Yeah. Another thing, do you remember that tsunami? Mm-hmm. That happened in Japan, like yep. 2011 or whatever. Yeah, it was. Apparently, that was like only a mile or two from where. Oh, really? She appeared. Oh, yep. wow! I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. So and I, and I know the that statues dots. tend to cry before something bad happens. Yep. Sometimes. Uh, sometimes yeah. yeah. Or just over the state of the world. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's another. We're talking about Christianity today and and Catholicism and, and you know the, the the presence of Jesus as God in our hearts. I mean, I mean, he came through Mary two thousand years ago. If Jesus really is God, and like let's say it's true that which we believe that like every time you've done something good, like apart from Jesus, you can do nothing, right? If every time you've done something good, it's actually Jesus in you. And especially let's say you get baptized or receive the Eucharist. It's like Jesus actually in your soul and in your heart, you almost like become Jesus. You and him become one almost. Well then who just became your mom? Right. (laughs) Mary. Mary Mary becomes the mom of Jesus in you. So Mary, you could say is number one, mother of all the baptized. Like she's mother of the church and she's like your mom because of Jesus in you, which is really cool. which glorifies Jesus. But if Jesus also said, apart from me, you can do nothing, well, talking about other religions, all the good that's done in those religions, I do believe it's Jesus. I don't think we can do anything apart from Jesus. So if you're part, if you're part of another religion, like a good Buddhist person who's praying and who has love in their heart, you know, doing the best of what they have, in some weird way, Mary's connected to you too, because she's the mom of Jesus in you who's doing the good, you know? Might not be as direct uh, as someone who's baptized, but she loves you too. So you could really say Mary is is the mother of almost like the whole world, you right. know, uh, because of her son, who her son is, her son being Jesus. If Jesus was not God, Mary has no role to play in the world. She wouldn't be appearing the last 200 years. And all these apparitions, the crying statues, trying to tell us to turn back to who? To Jesus every single time. So it's like kind of a really amazing backhanded compliment to our faith that Mary has been appearing like that. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to say the prayer? Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, I ask that you bless all of our listeners today. And help us to appreciate the other religions, to see the good in them. But also, really, the point of this is to appreciate our faith the most, to appreciate the Catholic faith, that you are the truth, the way, the life, and the truth, and that without you, we can do nothing. And we ask for the intercession of Our Lady of Akita to help inspire conversions amongst anyone who may be on the fence about Catholicism. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Father, and the Son, and the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. God God bless. bless.